Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Evelyn, for worshiping with us in interpretive dance.
but they did not understand what he meant. And were afraid to ask him about it. It's the word of God for the people of God. They were afraid to ask. But before we can answer that question of why were they afraid to ask, we have to kind of go back through it and kind of try and get ourselves in the mindset of the disciples to understand why they were afraid. Why they didn't want to ask the question. And then once we finally answer this question, we can kind of try and figure out how it applies to us in our life. Um, I'm one of those that believe that whenever we study the Word of God, it's going to challenge something inside of us. And when it challenges us, that's the Holy Spirit asking us that, and pointing out to us that we need to make some type of change in our lives. I think that's every time the word is preached, every time the word is read, I think God is demanding a response from you and I. Anyway, so let's go back to this little story. It says, they left that place and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were going because he was teaching his disciples. Understand, by this point in his ministry, Jesus was very, very popular. If you go back to the book of Mark, you can see that you know, he, he just cast down the evil spirit from a little boy. Uh, he, he heals a blind man. He feeds 4,000 people. He, is a, he heals a deaf and mute man. He helps a, a woman that is struggling with something. He walks on the water. He feeds 5,000. You can go on and on. All the miracles that Jesus has done up to this point in the book of Mark. So he's famous. They know who he is. And so it's very difficult for Jesus to go out in the public and then find a quiet place to go sit down. Jesus could not just walk into a coffee shop here and sit down and have a quiet cup of coffee. He would have the entire room gathering to right where he's at. But Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples, so he has to give them some place alone. Some place free from distractions. That's how it is with us and God, that when God wants to teach us something in our lives, He's going to wait until we get to someplace quiet with Him. He's not going to do it in the loud noisiness of the moment. Because there's too much chaos, too much noise, and, and when God tries to speak to us with the noise, we can't hear Him because we're too distracted. The best way for us as Christians to grow closer to God and to get to know Him more is by taking time and spending some quiet time with him. Finding a nice quiet place. Now, as you can imagine, my house with three kids, two dogs, and three cats, that can be difficult from time to time. Right. If anybody's looking for it, why don't you a cat? But if it wasn't for my quiet time with God each week, I don't know what I'd do. I wouldn't have anything to say to you. My sermon would probably be five minutes. Every sermon I've ever preached, every every lesson I've ever taught, everything that I am in my life has come out of that was quiet moments in the morning with God. Sitting down and opening his word. And saying, God, what do you have to say to me today? As a matter of fact, I used to pray when I sit down and read my Bible and say, God, will you show me something in your word today? And I stopped praying, you know why? Because he always shows me something. 
I go into my Bible reading in the morning expecting to hear something from God every day. If you go into your time of devotions and reading your Bible expecting to hear from God, I promise you, you will hear from Him. If you struggle with prayers, here's a, here's a practice that you can do too. Turn your scripture reading into prayers. Take the passage you're reading and write it out as a prayer. Personalize it. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. Anyway. Jesus wanted to teach his disciples that he wanted them to be alone so they were free from distractions. Because what he was about to teach them was very important. Jesus is about to tell his disciples why it was that he had come. Why he was here on this planet. Why God left heaven, became human like you and I, and took up dwelling among us. He's going to tell them exactly why he's here. So verse 31 says, Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. That is the entire reason why Jesus came. Right there in one sentence. From the mouth of Jesus. The entire purpose for Jesus' existence, his entire reason for coming to this earth, was to be betrayed into the hands of men, who would kill him, and then he would rise. That's it. So often when we study Jesus, we talk about his miracles. And the, there's no doubt his miracles were incredible. They were amazing. I mean, he, he, he gave blind people the, the ability to see. People who couldn't talk, he opened their mouth and words were able to come out. People who had never heard sound before were able to hear the birds singing, hear, hear laughter, hear conversations, and be a part of what was happening around them. Jesus did all that, but that's not why he came. That was not his purpose for being there. He just did that out of his love, not his mercy. He, he does exorcism after exorcism. He's casting out demons all over the place. He, he shows that he is God and he has a power over evil. That even the evil spirits have to bow down and listen to what he has to say. But that's not why Jesus came. He did not come to demonstrate his authority over evil. You can read his teachings. And his teachings were incredible. They, they, they were unlike anything these Jewish people had ever heard before. They heard the law of God being taught from the mouth of God. But as, as incredible and as powerful as the, te as the teachings of Jesus are, that was not why he came. Jesus came for one purpose. That was to die on the cross and rise again. Because that was the only way that you and I could be saved. That was the only way that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. It was the only option. And that's why he came. And I want to point out to you, he says, notice Jesus isn't blind to this. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. You and I, we have the gift of hindsight right now. We can look back to 2,000 plus years ago and, and 
No, what happened? We know that Jesus did die on the cross. We know that the tomb is empty. But none of this has happened yet for Jesus or his disciples. They don't know what's about to go down. Jesus is looking at them and saying, they're going to come. They're gonna, I'm going to betray us in the hands of people. He's not, think about it this way too. Jesus isn't going to be betrayed into the hands of demons. He's not being betrayed into the hands of some type of supernatural power. Who is Jesus being betrayed into? The hands of sinful, weak human beings. And then they're going to kill him. The point is, Jesus lets this all happen. He lets it happen. He chooses this pathway. He doesn't, he doesn't stop and say, you know what, I'm God, I'm going to go a different route. No, this is, my people need me to come and rescue them. This is my whole purpose for being here, and I'm going to accomplish what it is I came for. And that's even allowing myself to be taken prisoner by these weak, sinful, dead creatures and allow them to nail me to a cross. The very people that I'm coming to rescue, I'm going to walk into their hands and let them take me. But after three days, he would rise again. I like that new, that new song, uh, So I, it talks about he, he lost his life so I could find it here. Meaning, he gave up his life so that you and I could live. Because before we come to know Jesus, you're not alive. You're not, you're not alive, but you're, you're existing. You're breathing in and out, you're sucking some oxygen, you're moving around, but you're not alive yet. You're dead to sin, you're dead in sin. It's not until you feel the whole thing. Come and repent before God, and your sins are forgiven, and His Spirit comes and lives in you, and that's when you come alive. It's the breath of the Spirit that gives us life. There is no life apart from Him. And that Spirit is the same Jesus that gave Himself up. That was the whole reason he came. It's that simple. He came to die on the cross to provide the forgiveness of our sins, the once and all, for all forgiveness of our sins. Then he rose again. So not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we can live victorious over sin and death. Death no longer has a hold on us for those who believe in Christ Jesus. Who accept that this is the reason why he came. If we can accept that by faith, that's, that's who we are. We are alive in Him. This is the teaching He's trying to get His disciples to understand. He takes them away from all the distractions, all the noise that are around, that are around them. He sits down quietly and He explains it to them again. He's explained this to them before. And they didn't get it the last time. And as you keep reading this passage, you're going to notice they don't get it this time either, do they? They still don't get it. Verse 32 says, But they did not understand what Jesus meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't know the answer to the question. They, they did not understand the teaching. But rather than ask a question and ask Jesus to clarify to them what this teaching was all about, 
They allow fear to stop them from asking. They're, they're sitting there in the quiet with Jesus. No other distractions around. It's just them and the Lord and Savior. And, they, and he teaches them something that's so profound, so important. And they don't get it. And they're afraid to ask for an explanation. Why? Why are they afraid? Why were they afraid to ask? Well, let's be honest. This is, I said a minute ago, this is not the first time Jesus has explained this to them, is it? He's explained to them this whole story before. And he, and he explains it to them again. So I'm sure some of the disciples are fearful that, you know, if I ask Jesus again to explain it to me, is he, is he going to reprimand me? Is he going to be harsh in his explanation to me? Let's be honest. If you're trying to teach someone something and they're just not getting it, you're starting to wonder if it's just a better idea to pick up a hymnal and beat them over the head. You know? You're just not getting it. Do, do I need to draw you a map? You know, Anne's a teacher, so I'm sure she can, she can you know, testify. This kid's a small kid. I was that kid. <laughs> you just won't get it. You won't, you won't listen. You won't figure it out. They're afraid that Jesus might reprimand them. Also, I think it takes a little bit further than that. I think they were also afraid that it would challenge what they believed. We talked about this several times together. The disciples believed as the Jewish nation did, that the Messiah here was going to come back and he was going to set up a political kingdom, set himself up as the authority here on earth, and he was going to defeat the Romans and set them free from their tyranny. That, was, that is what they believed in. That was their hope in this Messiah. And here Jesus, the, the true living Messiah, standing next to them, they, they testify already that he is the Christ, and he's telling them, that I am going to go willingly into the hands of these people and they're going to kill me. He hasn't set up this terrific thing they're going for yet. They don't want to hear this. It's that they hear this, so they accept this truth, and that's going to change everything they've ever believed in. It's going to challenge the traditions that were handed down to them from their parents, and from their grandparents, and from their great grandparents. Maybe they would ask this Jesus question, and he would point out to them that the faith that they've had all along, there was something wrong and broken about it, and it would have to change. They were afraid to ask because they didn't want to change. Ultimately, they were afraid to ask. The disciples did not want to ask Jesus what he meant when he said, they're going to kill me and I'm going to rise again. He didn't want, they didn't want to ask because they did not want to know the answer. Simple as that. They didn't, they didn't ask because they didn't want to know. Because if they don't know, ignorance is bliss. They can't be in trouble and held accountable for what they don't know. So if they don't ask, then they can keep living in this false assumption, this false belief that they've always believed on in, and they don't have to change anything about themselves. So they don't ask. And even, even the idea of them being afraid to be reprimanded by Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I really want to know the answer to something, if it's really haunting my mind that bad, I, I know it's important, I need to know this, 
Being reprimanded is not going to stop me from asking the question. And that even applies to the, to the matters of faith. We read in the book of Job. Remember, Job loses everything. He's a country music song. <laughs> Two people laugh. That's good. <laughs> and remember, Job is pretty much his friend. His friends are coming to him and saying, Job, you must have sinned. You must have done something to upset God. You better repent. We know him. Job knows I ain't done nothing wrong. God knows I've been living this life the way I was supposed to. And there's a, there's a point in the, in, in, the, in the dialogue where Job pretty much says, I'm going to sit here on this hillside, and I'm going to wait for God to answer me and explain to me what's going on. And I'm not moving until he does. Anyone hear something crazy? Anyone hear something amazing? God answers Job. Job wanted to know the answer, and God comes to him, and boy, God, God reprimands Job for asking the question. He's like, how, how dare you? Are you the one that put the earth into motion? Are you the one that created the seas? Are you the one that drew the line in the sand? But God answered him. Job really wanted to know the answer, so he asked God the question. The disciples, they didn't ask Jesus the question because they really didn't know. See, there's a misconception in the church world that faith is blind, that loving God is blind. And that's not true. God wants us to ask him questions. Why, do you think, why else do you think he tells us to become like little children? What do little kids do? They ask you questions. Then this morning when we got to the church, they asked me why, why we have doors. He's looking at me all funny. I don't remember the answer I gave him, but he asked me why we have doors. Would you have thought to ask that question when you got to the church today? No. Ben did. Was Ben afraid to ask that question and look silly? No. He did. Did he get the right answer? I don't know. <laughs> God wants us to ask him questions about our faith. Because here's the truth. That's the only way your relationship grows. When you were dating your spouse, when you were dating your significant other, what did you do? You asked questions about one another. Those questions led to, to shared stories and, and shared experiences. Because you wanted to know them more. So you, you, were, you asked the questions. And I'm sure some of the questions you asked, you were afraid to ask. Because you weren't really sure whether you wanted to know the answer or not. But you asked it. Why? Because you loved that person and you knew it would help you fall closer to them. And that's what, that's what I say when the guys wants us to be a little bit like little children. That's why he wants us to ask him questions. Questioning God is not questioning your faith. Let's be honest, there's some things in the Bible that just don't make any sense. For a long time, I wrestled in the story of, of Exodus with the idea that God would somehow, you know, would, would, 
do this awesome event, like you know, turn the, the river into blood, and then Pharaoh would see and say, oh yeah, I'll let your people go, and then it says, curious thing, it says, then God pardoned Pharaoh's heart. Well, that's not very fair, now is it? It's almost like God's like, you know what? I'm, he, he's going to let you go, but now, now I'm going to change his mind so I can punish you some more. Being a person that believes that God gives us free will and the ability to choose for ourselves, that doesn't sit well with me. What does that mean, God? How, how can we have free will and the ability to choose for ourselves? And here you are, playing games with Pharaoh's mind. And if you're expecting me to answer that question for you today, I'm not going to. Because I want you to go home and I want you to wrestle with it for yourself. I asked God that question. If God, this don't make any sense to me. You're going to you're gonna have to explain it. Every time I read the book of Revelation, I'm more lost than when I started the first time. The great Christian theologian Adam Clark, I love his commentary. It says, there's been a lot of piffle put out about the book of Revelation through the centuries. And I'm afraid if I write on this, I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> Does that stop me from reading it? Does that stop me from asking questions about it? No. Because I want to know my God more. Even if it means that I ask him a stupid question, he's going to look at me and say, Jason, how dare you ask me that? We see that the disciples, they were afraid because they didn't want to know the answer. And that's how we are. We don't ask God questions because we don't really want to know the answer. We don't want to know the answer because if, if God answers our question, then we might find out that we were wrong. We don't like to be wrong, folks. You don't believe me? Spend five minutes on Facebook together, scrolling. Tell somebody they're wrong. Watch how they respond. <laughs> Let's just spend a few minutes reading the articles about our politicians when they call each other wrong. Let's see what I'm talking about. We don't like it. So rather than risk being told we're wrong and having to change our way of thinking, we just don't ask. But then we don't know. It's because we're afraid to ask. We don't ask questions because we don't want to change. We want to be able to stay exactly the way we are, the way we have always been, the way we've always known it. And we don't want to move forward. Here's the thing about God. God, His Spirit, is always on the move, and He never stays in the same place. He is constantly moving. He is constantly stirring things up. So if you are following the Spirit in your life, that means you're not going to stay camped out on the mountaintop, but you're going to be willing to pack up your bags and follow Him down into the valley. Even if that means you have no idea where you're going. That's what Abraham did, and God granted that, that to him as righteousness. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to pack your bags up and move to this promised land I have for you. And he's like, God, where's that? And God's like, I'm not telling you to get there. Just trust me. That's what he does. He had to change. He had to be different than what he was. And really, it, at the heart of repentance, that's what it means to change. That word repentance is kind of like the word metamorphosis. You're supposed to, to change from being who you are to something else. You're, when we repent to God, we confess our sins to Him, 
and then we can do a complete 180 and stop living the life that we're living. But that doesn't end with just that repentance. We talk about in the Nazarene Church about this idea of the entire sanctification where you have this second crisis moment where the whole you recognize that you need to surrender your heart and your mind to God. And you come to this altar and you surrender to Him. And then your heart is made perfect from His Spirit living inside of you. But unfortunately, your mind's still stuck from all the patterns of living in this broken, messed up world. So God has to retrain your brain to respond and react differently. But that's the thing. You see, you can have that moment of entire sanctification, but that moment is not the end. It is not done there. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are set free from sin. But you still have other moments where you need to come and spend with God. There are other questions that, in your life that you need to ask Him. Other things in your, in your spiritual walk where you need to grow beyond where you are in that moment. God's going to keep always calling you deeper still. But the thing is, we don't ask questions because we don't want to have to deal with that process of changing. We say things like, well, you know, I, that's what I've always been taught. That's what I've always believed. That's what my parents taught me. But here's the thing, folks. Your parents' faith doesn't get you to heaven. Our faith is supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be between you and God. Not you, your dad, and then God. You are supposed to know him for yourself. You're supposed to take your questions that you have, and you are to take them to God, and allow him to help you wrestle with those. And sometimes you'll realize that it's great and godly as the saints were before you, that there's something about your faith that needs to change. But you see, we don't ask questions because we don't want to do that. We don't ask questions because we don't want to know. What we really don't want to know, what we're really hoping to avoid is we do not want to discover what it is that, that is God's will. We know we're supposed to surrender and do things God's way. We know we're supposed to follow after Him with our whole heart, mind, and soul. We, are, we know that every ounce of our being, everything that we own, everything that you are, is supposed to be used in the glory of God. But there are some things that you're still holding on to because you, you don't want to find out that it goes against the will of God. So you don't ask those questions. Because you really don't want to know. Because you don't want to change. You don't want to find out that you were wrong. But the Bible Jesus tells us in Scripture that we cannot serve two masters. You're either serving God or you're serving yourself. You're either serving God or you're serving the devil. So when we're afraid to ask questions because of, of it might reveal God's will to us, and that God's will might force us to change our way of thinking and to change who we are and how we do things. If we refuse to answer and ask the question, if we refuse to move forward from the spot that we're in, then we are rejecting the will of God. If you're rejecting the will of God, then you live by your own. You can't be sanctified and live by your will. 
Matthew 7, chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, ask, and you will receive. Ask, and you will receive. Ask the question, and he will give you the answer. But you have to be bold enough to ask it. Jesus already knows the answer. It's not like God's plan has changed. It's not like God's will has changed. It's our understanding that does. Our minds are much too small and too feeble to try and comprehend all the things of God at once. When you first became a Christian, you could not handle all the truths of God that you know now. God's revealed them to you in steps along the way and bits and morsels because that's how he knew you would understand them and comprehend them. God's will hasn't changed. It's your understanding of what that will is that changes. And if you come to a moment where you're not sure, God, you show me something different. I have never seen this before. I have never encountered this before. God, you know, I've believed this way for a long time. But now here I am facing this. What is it you say about this? If you ask that question, Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Romans 8.32, it says, God did not spare his own son. He didn't even spare Jesus in order to rescue us. Do you not think, this is what it says, it says, how will he not also give us all things? If, Jesus, if God did not spare Jesus in order to rescue us, in order for us to live for him, what makes us think that we are, we don't, if we, if we take a question to him, that he's going to leave it unanswered? Finding Jesus is the beginning of faith. It's the, Jesus is the treasure that makes all the rest of it worth it. It's what makes it all make sense. And it's only through Jesus that it will make sense. Your unanswered questions. And the only person that can answer them is him. But you have to be willing to ask. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture from the book of James. James chapter 1 verse 5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If you're coming to a moment where your faith is being challenged, where your understanding of faith is being challenged, if God has brought you to a point where you're not sure what the truth is, and then somebody says, if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He's telling you, ask me the tough questions. Ask me, and I will give you the answer. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think that they will receive anything from God, for they are double-minded, unstable in all that they do. What that means is, as Christians, if we, if we are not willing to ask God the question because we're afraid we might have to change, because we're afraid we might be wrong, 
because we're afraid of having to follow God's will, then that means we are double-minded. And if you're double-minded, then you cannot be sanctified. Because you cannot, be, you cannot be following your own will and not surrender to God's and follow Him. So we have to be willing to ask God the questions and then wait upon Him to give us the answer. And the best place to find his answer is right here. See, too many Christians, we don't pick this up and read it anymore. We have that new version Bible app, which is awesome. And they have their little fancy devotionals in there. But the problem with those little fancy devotionals is they give you one little, one little nugget of a verse. And then some person explains it. And let me just take what they say as truth. We don't actually sit down and wrestle with the things of God for ourselves. We've all seen the movie Jurassic Park, right? Everybody seen Jurassic Park? Remember Dr. Malcolm, he gets mad at the Jurassic Park scientists. Why? Because they take science that they didn't study for themselves. They didn't actually go out and acquire the knowledge for themselves. They borrowed from somebody else and then didn't even stop to ask if they should do it or not. And then they made these dinosaurs. And what happens to dinosaurs is that everybody. That's us. When we all sit down and study the word of God for ourselves, we take the knowledge of somebody else and apply it to our faith without ever stopping to ask God if it was true. Then our entire faith is built on something that is false. And we create a dinosaur that devours us and keeps us trapped for days on end, for years on end, until God brings us to a point where we're forced to question whether that's true or not. But the problem is we get there, we're staring that dinosaur in the face and we're saying, just eat me. Because we don't want to have to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to have to change the way we've been living our lives. We have to put away our double-mindedness. And putting away your double-mindedness means you look to God and say, yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. It's not what Jason wants. It's what you want, God. I'm going to ask Jeremy and Barry to come. We're going to sing this this morning. Maybe you have something that you need to wrestle with God about. Maybe recently God brought something to your attention. That he is trying to change about your faith and your understanding of them. But you're too afraid. You've been too afraid to ask the question. This morning is your chance. Don't leave here with, without asking him. Don't leave here without seeking him. I'm not, not, he can give you the answer this morning, but he may. This may just be the moment where you surrender. You say, God, just to your will to your way. Even if that means me waiting on the truth that you have for me.